Rye Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Birds of Prey, starring Margot Robbie, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, Journey Summit Bell, and Ewan McGregor, directed by Kathy Yan. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time for film three in the cask of DC Rotgut. And, you know, hopefully today's episode is going to go a little differently than the last two. Man, Matt, it's kind of been a slog. I've been really thinking about Batman versus Superman a lot since watching it, recording the episode, and just kind of pondering, what the hell? Like, just so dour and serious for its own good. You have to know your audience. Big time. And I don't think that movie ever figured that out. This will be this will be interesting because I think we're going to talk a lot about DC films today, their future slate, and kind of oh, I can't wait! I have, yes, I can't wait to engage that discussion with you and just kind of where things are going because it's so confusing, really. Because uh, we'll get into it. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's just it's just bizarre to me currently. But we're we're gonna continue. Well, we, te- we teased out maybe we're gonna drink something good this week. Yeah, exactly. So do we want to let the cat out of the bag and say how we have this set up? Or yeah. Do wanna... Why don't you pour us some mix us some foot drink while I explain? Oh, so everyone's saying ah uh, they're mixing a foot drink. That means this movie's gonna get killed. But wait. Yeah, maybe not necessarily. So Matt and I are gonna approach this a little differently. So we have foot drink to 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 have <laughs> foot drink. It is foot drink. Do you see what I put on the Insta this week? Yeah. <laughs> no more grape feet this week. No please. more grape feet. <laughs> but we also poured us some of the Templeton rye, which is the smoothest rye you and I I think have ever had. That's like, going we're saving that bottle and in, that's going in the annals of the best surprises we've had in liquor. That's, some of the all times. Oh yeah. So we have this on the side here. So I think Matt and I are going to approach this by, you know, applauding some of the great things of the film with some rye. We'll take some swigs of rye. And when it gets a little too, you know, eh, rock gutty, we'll take some swigs of the foot. So by 12 o'clock in the morning, you and I will be two different drinks into a review on a film. Man. Saturday's off to a good start. Live fast. Die young. <laughs> Leave a good looking corpse. <laughs> Excellent. So let's start out with our flight question for the week. And, you know. A, a, well, hold on. Let's break the seal first. Let's go. That's, this is feet. Mm-hmm. Still tastes like feet. I'm telling you, all those like hipster bars are going to be rolling out this PB&J drink pretty soon. And it's going to be all the rage. Yep. Let's just start out this week. Let's talk about a little bit about, you know, team-oriented films. And there's been a lot throughout film history, whether, you know, through Western or war films, but especially the superhero genre now, even heist films. So I thought it'd be funny, you know, being that this is a team-oriented come-together and fight the, 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 the evil type of film. What's your favorite uh, team on film? Oh, I went back and forth 50 times. So many to choose from. And then I finally came to it this morning. So the Dirty Dozen was in play for me a lot. Mm-hmm. Lee Marvin. Uh, the Sting was in play for me a lot. Um, seven Magnificent Seven. Yeah. I don't love the Seven Samurai like everybody, but none of those ended up being the final selection. For me, Jesse, okay. it's the usual suspects. Ooh. I think when you do an ensemble piece, there's two ways you can go about it, and that's the cast that you assemble. Uh, Ocean's Eleven is this. The cast that you assemble, each one of the people you bring on has a skill set or a talent that makes whatever obstacle conquerable. Mm -hmm. The other one is you have really vibrant personalities that have conflict with each other, and there's where you get story. I think the latter is the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. 
they don't really have a great skill set. They're all kind of just thieves mm-hmm. and murderers. And we don't really see that come out in a way where they play it to um, an effective manner in that film. Yeah. But that's a brilliant film. Hey, Matt, mm. I'm going to flip you. Mm-hmm. Flip you for real. Flip you for real. <laughs> you know who's the, Is that the one with the hooker with dysentery? <laughs> You know who's the MVP of that film? And I would Stephen Baldwin. This is yeah. I would never him. I know. And I would never say that ever again in any other film. I, yeah, I know. He's good in that. He had two huge movies back to back where he's really good in. I shouldn't say huge, but for me, two movies. It was this one. And yeah. have you ever seen Threesome? Mm-mm. You need to see Threesome. It's Josh Charles and Laura Flynn Boyle. Ooh, okay. And a movie about what the title is. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> in the sleepy, no one saw. Pretty darn good movies. No one but yeah, check it out. Nice two film run for him. <laughs> That's about it. But you know, Gabriel Mission Bur- Impossible. Yeah, Gabriel Burns, uh, pretty pretty great in that film. I've always liked him too. And you know, I liked him in Hereditary a lot as well. Oh man, yeah. He's kind of like the silent like majority of that family. Gabriel Byrne had a series on HBO Ooh, called In Treatment. Mm-hmm, Did you watch that? Mm-hmm. Was that first season so damn good? Really good. Lost itself a little bit. Yeah. But that first season was so damn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gabriel Byrne almost kind of falls into that like Sam Neill category for me, where there's like they're they're so talented as actors. I just don't think they get the credit they deserve and like kind of like the prominent roles anymore. You know what I mean? Is that La Femme Nikita? Is that the French version? He's in one of those with Bridget Fonda too that he's pretty good in. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a sneaky filmography that's that's all right, but we could we can't do that discussion without yeah. Kaiser Soze. Yeah, exactly. And Kevin Spacey, for all of what he is and isn't, sure, is amazing in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the whole board, spoiler alert, <laughs> twist sequence with Kobayashi and uh, Chaz Palminteri, yeah, and um, Pete Postlewaite. Like, like that's a, that's a great cast in that movie, aside from the usual suspects. That's a good choice. Thank you. I thought about this a lot, too. I kind of wanted to go with something like The Magnificent Seven. I thought The Wild Bunch at times, but we've had discussions about a lot of those you know parties and you know the avengers and and whatnot in teams justice league that's a joke uh <laughs> yeah but i i stumbled across a post this week because this year is actually the 30th anniversary of this film and maybe if it if it just kind of lines up i'd really like to cover this film with you matt uh and i read all the comments because they had pick your favorite of this i read 100 comments the first 100 comments and they were all this film and it really got me to thinking about you know, what we like to write about and what we look for in film, which is family. family and talk about a family dynamic. It's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, in particular, the film from 1990. Wow. So for those of you that don't know, that's an independent film. It's actually one of the highest grossing independent films ever made, like right there with Blair Witch Project. Uh, and it's pretty remarkable, you know, the Jim Henson suits and the, the fight choreography. But I've always liked the dynamic between Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo and Donatello especially with their sensei master splinter and this father e relationship like to me on paper that idea should never work like talking turtles that know karate uh who have they have a talking rat for a master and they fight crime in new york city like what a joke mm-hmm. but they've been around for 35 plus years now in tv multiple films comic books animated series and toys they've really stood the test of time but them as a dynamic, they all play on each other's strengths and weaknesses, with whether it's hot-headedness, leadership, the smarts, the comic relief. You get a little bit of everything with that group. Speaking to how popular that series is <clears throat> just validates your claim there. Yeah. 
And what was interesting about the Turtles is I think they did two things that both the ensemble pieces I mentioned discussed. Each one of the characters of the Turtles has a different trait that either helps or hurts them in the cause of the TMNT. Exactly. But then they also have a specified weapon, which would then be their skill. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is that Kirkman that started that? Who No, who started that? Who's the writer? Eastman. There you go, Eastman. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kirkman. Got Kevin Laird Day. and Peter Eastman. Talk about just knocking an absolute home I might have messed up the first names on that one, but yeah. Yeah, talk about knocking out a home run with that one. I mean, this was 0-2 fastball on the outside corner that you turned and took it to right field and just walked off. Like an absolute mm-hmm. grand slam on, like you said, a very low concept idea. That's like an acid trip idea. Like, hey, you know what would be cool? Turtles that know karate and fight crime. Let's do a comic. And then it's just, it blows up. You know what I mean? Well, like, ba- <laughs> Batman and Robin paid homage to that. Cowabunga. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm saying that's how, that's exactly. how far that stretch oh, I, was. I know, I know. And think about it. In 1990, we had really only had Donner's Superman. The Tim Burton Batman had just come out. Come out, And then that film, like it was kind of there before all the Marvel stuff. So it's great. Can, can, I, can I say one honorable mention? Go ahead. <sighs> We, I hope we do this movie someday too, sure. but it's Little Miss Sunshine. Mm. That's the other one that was really close. And as I kept thinking about it, it sort of usurped the Dirty Dozen, which would be so much fun to do also oh, someday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Little Miss Sunshine, even though the team is the family, talk about some interesting cast of characters and that's Alan Arkin's best work and it's <laughs> not even close. <laughs> he is so good at yes, that. Yes, he is. Uh, just enough heroin for grandpa to get by on a daily day basis. And good thing he's a choreographer. Otherwise we wouldn't have that great dance sequence. And Tony Collette too. Well, always killing it. Always. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Matt, cheers. Those are always killing, especially in hereditary. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Wait, we can't toast that. This is the Templeton. Yeah, that that was was good. Yeah, that was, that was some goodness. There you go. Mm -hmm. Oh, sweet elixir. God bless you. Templeton, (laughs) right? That is so good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's get down to happy hour time and our review breakdown of Birds of Prey. The Joker and I broke up. <laughs> I wanted a fresh start. But it turns out I wasn't the only Damon Gotham looking for emancipation. A spectacular news. This queen, she blocks me. So Birds of Prey starts out with a lot of very interesting things and especially playing with the dynamic of film reminiscent of, I believe, of another uniquely made superhero film, which is Deadpool. And we're starting out with an animated kind of sequence. So immediately, Matt, what this tells me right at the beginning, especially compared to last week, I'm going to be bringing up last week a lot because, God, that was awful. Mm-hmm. Is they're they're gonna have a little fun with this, which I think you have to do with a character like Harley Quinn. This is a character created from the birth of the animated series. This is Deanie and Tim, you know, creating uh, a counterpart for the legendary Joker. But here she is on her own, and I think you have to kind of take it a little more tongue in cheek with her antics. She is kind of the, like the flower petal kind of you know like booby booby trap gag like type of person, much like him. So doing fun little animated sequences of her like upbringing and her, her childhood up into the, the present time, you know, where she's like in full on breakup mode, you know, playing roller derby, you know, we're having a lot of fun, fun with this to start out, which this is so refreshing. I'm going to take a swig of rye. The challenge that I see with Harley Quinn 
is to not let, especially in this movie, standalone now, not with any even bad moments of Joker appearances in Suicide Squad, but her movie, Mm -hmm. is to not let her level of villainy get to the point where she stops being anti-hero and becomes just villain. Yeah. So I have to admit, I had some reservations going into this film, and those were the two big ones. Number one is, Mm -hmm. was this just going to be Margot Robbie for two hours being very vexing and off the rails and wild. And I thought they did a fantastic job of reeling her in Mm -hmm. and giving her some logic to the actions that she takes, but not so much that she becomes calculated. Sure. That's a huge score for writing. So to that, to that, yeah, that's a ride. That's a, that's a ride drink. That's a ride drink. Mm Mm-hmm. I think she's really good in this role too. I mean, Margot Robbie. There's no doubting, doubting the talent that she had. She's she's killed it in a lot of a lot of films as of late, and she hasn't done quite a bit. And the I, second one for me that is important is to not let. And you just mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Not let the violence that she engages the opposition in be to where she blows them to kingdom comes unless it suits the situation. Sure. The flower petal that squirts the water can't be poison. Yeah. It can be ink mm-hmm. and blind them, mm-hmm. or it can be dye, or so, you know, I mean, it can be, it causes a little bit or a medium amount of stress in that person's life, but it can't be, it burns your face off. Yeah. And they did a great job with that. Specifically, I really thought they killed it in the scene when she goes into the police station oh, yeah. with that gun that's essentially a glitter and oh, confetti that, gun. That was awesome. And she's dropping the hammer on those people, but they're going to get up eventually. Yeah, yeah. And she they do a really good job with her of, I'm enough, I'm bad enough to like break your leg, but I'm probably not going to, the Joker wouldn't do this either, but for this example, I wouldn't cut your head off. Sure. Because then you, you lose her. And so my, those are my two reservations, mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell everyone, I did not have those reservations or those were sated at the end of the film. I was okay with how they handled it. Excellent. Um, Yeah. Just, just talking about her a little bit more and she plays it well enough where she's got that, that Harley pantameter like down to a T Mm -hmm. if you've watched the animated series or played the Arkham games, she has a certain way about her, her character, the way she speaks. It's almost like this, like New York, New Jersey accent Mm -hmm. And I, I think she she has that part down. And I thought it was really interesting to kind of approach this from the point of view of like a breakup film. Right. Much like 500 Days of Summer and how someone reacts to that. But seeing her extreme reaction to that to the nth degree, which is that roller derby thing, like that was pretty awesome. Like, right. I, can I just make a little joke here on the side? If you ever want to see the funniest thing you've ever seen in your entire life, put me on rollerblades. Oh God. It'll be a laugh, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's awful. It's all interesting. And then it comes to the head where, you know, she's going to end it where it began, which is ACE chemicals, which another positive to this film for uh, approaching the likes of Gotham city locations that we haven't seen before on film amusement mile like ace chemicals we saw that briefly in suicide squad but not really i'm kind of expanding the world that is gotham city you've talked a lot matt about batman's world is so contained within itself and this is part of it the locale and how vast gotham city truly is and you know the breakup is in the form of just literally the explosion of ace chemicals and just kind of this fiery wreckage and now she's she's just on her own now which is great because we didn't want Jared Leto in this movie whatsoever. 
So good for them to <laughs> get him out of it right away. We don't even have to get worry about the Joker. Of this. <laughs> and then what I also liked about that is the breakup not only has her in a saddened state, but it actually creates issues for her after the breakup because now she's not protected by her ex-beloved Mr. J. Mm-hmm. And everybody that she's done dirty up to that point is out for a pint of blood to sure. make that little, <clears throat> you know, Harley Quinn pay for what they had what they had experienced mm-hmm. with her under the tutelage or protection of the Joker. So she's sad. And then as we go through her sadness and watch her <laughs> in a, kind of in a real way deal with the sadness of the breakup, mm-hmm. then what that means is a whole cadre of bad guys are now coming <clears throat> to make her pay. Yeah. I thought that was really well done. You know what the most beautiful thing in this entire film was? I was salivating. That breakfast sandwich Look looked good. to die for. Oh, yeah. good God. So she's really upset that she can't get this breakfast sandwich. It's a very simple want because of what you just set up so nicely is the bad guys that she's wronged or, or plighted, which is told to us on the screen in a, like a, a, a pretty unique way, uh, whether it's broken legs or tattoos on the face or yeah, I did this or I did that or I fed my hyena to his brother or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's literally on the run now. And to that, it's done in a Deadpool way, which is R-rated comedy like Deadpool does. Mm -hmm. But also, it's not completely sequential. Yeah. It's a little bit, let's show you not Z, but we'll give you D, and then here's A, B, and C that got us to that. What did you think of that? I liked it. Because the film does that several times. I really liked it. Yeah. It creates a relationship. It doesn't, per the standard of what we would say, breaks the fourth wall. It's not quite that, but it's close to breaking the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. It's at least an acknowledgement that it's aware of its storytelling capabilities to the audience, yeah. which sort of breaks down the fourth wall premise without stopping and looking at the camera and saying, da 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 back to the movie. Exactly. So I liked it, and it was done in a judicious way that didn't, didn't steal the film. Okay, interesting. Yeah, no, I... I, I feel Actually, to that, and that's writing, so I'm going to raise it because that. that's pretty good writing. Yeah, and, right. and, and, then, it, and then it means that... Um, you know, we're not taking ourselves so seriously. We can have some fun with the format a little bit, but the omniscient narrator is kind of guiding us through this film in a reliable and unreliable sort of way. Unreliable in the fact that she, we have to literally rewind us several times to go back and tell the character's backstory, which is refreshing because a lot of these team-up films spend their first act of the film literally setting up everyone's backstory. And we literally get almost to act three before we get the backstory of the Huntress, which is kind of told in this same type of uh, format. But set up Mm -hmm. prior to that in a meaningful way. Yeah, It wasn't just, here's this other character, and oh yeah, here's her backstory. It actually ties into the plot of the story, Mm -hmm. which I have to say, like we're three things into this that are going to be solid. What the overriding villainy in this movie is is very suitable to the birds of prey's capabilities isn't that refreshing yes yeah thanos can't or apocalypse or dark seed cannot take on the birds of prey but the black mask and his henchmen in a jewel heist film is perfect Mm -hmm. so to that yeah we're like three rise here, huh? This isn't like Mysterio trying to like magically take over the world, like where it's just so vast and big and globe trotting. Like here we are in the dredges of Gotham City in these CD nightclubs with all these bad people, and yeah, it's about a jewel. And you know what I love even more, and this is going to come up. There's going to be this kind of uh, excommunicado, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, like setup 
$500,000. Like, even that isn't ridiculous. You know what I mean? Right. It's not $500 million. $1 million. Yes. <laughs> uh. Okay, so to that, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask, I'm going to make a statement, then I want to ask you a question. Okay. The Black Mask and his attempts to gain this diamond to build a larger war chest to create a bigger crime syndicate mm-hmm. is perfect. Oh, yeah. For someone of his level. Mm-hmm. In your sum total of the Batman history that you and that Bruce Wayne fella have created. He's my bud. <laughs> he kind of is. He's your guy. Is the Black Mask a character that you thought in this film was handled in a way that made you happy? Were you okay with his portrayal? Most definitely. Is that about how his speed is and the stuff you're familiar with, the Black Mask? Yeah, I think Ewan McGregor has a little more fun with it, which fits the tone of this film, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, his, his scheme and it, it feels it, 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 he's always been about mob control to me. There's always been like the big mob players have always been like Falcone, Sal Maroni, those big crime families. And he's kind of in there as well, kind of doing his own thing. Um, Roman Sionis, black mask. And in particular, um, we've mentioned these before the Batman Arkham games. There's the third one's called Arkham origins and he's a pretty young Batman there, but the plot is, is kind of similar, but not quite where he puts literally a bounty on Batman's head on Christmas Eve and whoever brings it to him at midnight, um, like gets like, like $1 million, 10 million. I can't remember the total, but he's playing with money and bounties and you scratch my back. I'll scratch your back type of thing. Like this fits his character very well. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. So I think we're four for four so far. It's (laughs) a good day at the plate. Let's keep going. (laughs) I got to stop, though, because this might be, for me, the first sip of Purple Feet. Well, why don't you go ahead? You mentioned a specific location that I think is a really big challenge for DC, and they still haven't accomplished. Okay. That's Gotham. Mm -hmm. I know that people are going to say, well, what about Wonder Woman? And with the exception of that film, and I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not going to listen to the argument of Aquaman as the other one-off on this, Mm because that's not a good film. Yeah. I've had people asking us about Aquaman, actually, like asking us about why didn't you tackle Aquaman? And I was like, we did. We did. Maybe you'll hear it one day. That's the very first one we ever did just to practice and see how this was going to work out. Maybe that'll be a Christmas Christmas present for you this year. It's going to be rough, though, man, like compared to where it is now from even like the early, like the unbreakable stuff. That cask is hard to listen to compared to what's we've gotten better at this. Definitely. Okay. Everything that works in the DC universe works in the same city, and it's Gotham. Sure. They're really struggling expanding Mm -hmm. something outside of Gotham. Now, Wonder Woman's playing a little bit with time, so that's also not really a Gotham set or based premise. Yeah. If you're going to have Gotham as the linchpin to everything in the universe that you're creating, I think then by consequence the villainy that you can introduce in a in an avengers like team up as the justice league there that's got to happen again somehow yeah is never going to be more than like the kingpin or in this case the penguin mm-hmm. because thanos would kill gotham sure and we saw it a little bit in batman versus superman mm-hmm. we talked about it doomsday reduces batman to a fly on the wall, essentially. Mm-hmm. But doesn't that make it a little more intimate, too? I mean, you could only oh, no, I, I, yeah. blow the, up so much. Sure. Yeah. I'm saying if we're waiting for DC to give us the intergalactic presence that is a, this large 
inconquerable foe, <clears throat> mm -hmm. we're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. And DC has got to figure out a way to make some other city matter. And don't give me Philadelphia in Shazam, because I don't even know if that's really tied to the universe. <laughs> another city matter so sure. that we have some geography to expand a starling city central city something because that's to me the first negative that i have and it's not the it's <clears throat> not the film's fault the film is has to be set in gotham because she's a batman character mm -hmm. but again here we are in the same city finding some success and this movie's going to make make money it was made for 84 million dollars it's easily going to clear that there's nothing coming until march 20th which is a quiet place unless you're going to say the invisible man's going to come along and yeah, maybe knock that out. Yeah. So how do we handle the expanse of this universe with what we want our superheroes to be because Marvel set such a high standard? Is it is it maybe because, you know, the Marvel Stan Lee world has always been real world New York? Is it a problem that we have these fictitious cities in the DC universe? Yeah, but to me, Gotham kind of always was like a little bit darker version of New York. Maybe. Yeah, and, and I don't. Yes, and yes, you know, and you know what makes that difficult because Metropolis is also kind of New Yorky too, right? Like so that there's no delineation of difference there. So this is going to play into the nightcap question. I'm going to revisit mm -hmm. this idea. Okay, but again, not a fault of Birds of Prey, but mm -hmm. the big problem for me with DC is how do we grow this? Because right now, when this movie ends, mm -hmm. there's three or four ways that this can go with two very clear new stories being birthed. Sure. But they're both still in Gotham. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go with the foot on that because yeah. <laughs> that's a bit of a miss. <laughs> the foot. <laughs> and that's not, a, that's not a Birds of Prey miss. Mm -hmm. That's a Warner Brothers DC miss. Well, it's an execution miss. Um, Challenge, okay. And, that, and yeah. that's just where they're at yes. currently. They've swung and missed many times where you know they're... They're at the bottom of the lineup. We've got to be counting here. I think nine to 11 films into the DC volume of superheroes with this latest iteration. That's let's see three the, Batman. Yeah, the man of steel one. <sighs> the Nolan stuff doesn't count. Okay. So if you're going to take that, okay, so let's just say, let's just say 10. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much we've done to introduce a larger ultimate goal for the 10. And that doesn't mean that you have to, you can tell single stories that aren't tied mm -hmm. through some large continuity. This is going to tie it all up for everyone. You can just do individual stories in the same world and that's okay. Yeah. I wish DC was a little bit more forthright about what the end goal is. Cause it's so clandestine and that's because mm -hmm. they don't know where it's going. Can I ask you a question this Please, time? Yes. Matt? Yeah. Do you think the television so shows on the CW are handling that a little bit better? Sure. I thought Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is a huge task to write that graphic novel mm -hmm. into a five-part miniseries, was not done well by Kevin Smith. Mm -hmm. But that being said, Supergirl, Arrow, I guess that's now officially done, mm -hmm. Black Lightning, and well, The Flash <clears throat> are really well interconnected. Yeah. But that's because they're not rushed. Yeah. And they've got 40 episodes each way to sort of build it. Sure. So answer, yes. Okay. They've handled it. They've handled it really well. Interesting. And that's a B-list cast, yes? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Black Lightning? <laughs> Black Lightning. The hell's exactly. That? And yeah. the Atom? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Knock off Ant-Man. Brandon Routh and the best superhero we ever played, which isn't Superman. Yeah. Although I think the Atom came before Ant-Man, so who's stealing from who? <laughs> oh, Mar Marvel are total thieves. <laughs> yeah. If you look at Marvel stole everything from DC. Yeah. 
Marvel isn't launched till 1960. Batman was around in 1930. Yeah, it's that's an interesting conversation because the the rivalry between DC and Marvel is such an interesting story. Yeah, but let's introduce the rest of our um, rest of our cast here. You know, we have um, Rosie Perez playing uh, Detective Renee Montoya. Now, Montoya is actually one of the stalwarts of the Gotham City PD, along with Jim Gordon and Detective Harvey Bullock. And well, we haven't seen Bullock yet. Um, can on the animated series he's done really well on that but we haven't seen montoya yet so this is kind of interesting to introduce the the cop element that isn't commissioner gordon like this feels good to me like at least <laughs> i racked my brain thinking the last time i saw rosie perez might have been for me white men can't jump yeah it's been a while been a while and she's pretty capable in this role yeah. she fits it yeah she might be yeah, no, she's she's really good in it. I, I like actually that, don't have a criticism. I like that shirt that they made her wear. It was like, I shaved my balls for this. Because yeah. she, she gets some trash dumped on her, and she has to get a shirt from the Lost and Found, and it's this very comical shirt. So we have her. We have um, Black Canary, who's kind of been done on on, uh, on CW, if I, if I remember. But mm-hmm. here here we have now kind of, she's kind of like the, the singer sirenness banshee of Roman Sionis's nightclub. Who's kind of you know doing a lot of his bidding? He's he, the the driver uh, of these parts, and we'll we'll come back come back to more here in, in a little bit. And then we have the huntress, who's kind of been set up as this child who's been very. Um, I, I was kind of drawing parallels to Kill Bill a little bit, especially the Lucy Liu portion of the story. Sure, family getting wiped out, and then I'm going to go into hiding to become this assassin. So I got a little bit of that from there. I did get a little Tarantino-y vibe from this film, and but if any of his films from Kill Bill, which I'm not the biggest fan of. No, yes, yeah. it's there. The creation of the team originally by Chuck Dixon and Birds of Prey is Barbara Gordon post-Killing Joke in the wheelchair as Oracle and mm. Black Canary. Okay. I think it's a good decision <clears throat> in them in this movie not to use Barbara Gordon yet mm-hmm. because then it ties it directly back to what I was just speaking about, yeah, exactly. which is can we get five feet away from Batman? Mm-hmm. And the answer is this movie said yes. The Joker's not even in this anymore. Yeah, We're creating two new teams. I think at some point if Birds of Prey, and it, there's going to be a follow-up because I know this movie's going to clean house. Sure. They probably do want to introduce her because I think the one thing that this team as a symbol that you mentioned is missing is the tech behind, the, as Spider-Man would say, the guy at the computer, mm-hmm. the Ned Leeds character yeah. in the new Spider-Man series. Mm-hmm. It's missing that and she fulfills that need. And even though I just sort of banged on that for a little while, at some point we do hope all of this culminates to at least an acknowledgement of the presence of the other people in the universe or world of Gotham, if not an actual appearance. Sure. Barbara Gordon clearly allows that to happen. As an oracle, then that would be cool. And they need that. They need the person at the computer to not red line of travel, but to and a certain extent in a not, more technically savvy way, the red line of travel and not Dave, tracking device. Not David Dunn's son from glass. Oh God. <laughs> Why did you do that? Uh, I just, I just, popped, right, that's purple. It just popped in my brain and to Mr. Glass. Let's make sure it's purple mm. mm-hmm. because of the kids. Mm. They called me Mr. Glass. So let's talk about another villain that they also introduce in this film, which is Victor Zaz. Now, Victor Zaz is literally a brutal serial killer in the Gotham universe who, after he kills any of his victims, he scars himself with a like a tally mark on his body. That's a great character. He's interesting. Um, uh, and he, the, the, the thing is, he's always been saving one for Batman very specifically. So you didn't see it in this film, but usually on his head, he's bald and he has four slashes on his head and that 
fifth one that's going to make the fifth tally mark. Like that one's saved for Batman. Cool. But yeah, a cool character. And I think handled also pretty interestingly in this film. Kind of like this pseudo servanty uh muscle. Yeah, muscle to to Ewan McGregor's black mask. You just, yeah, I don't know where to go with that. <clears throat> exactly. Two Victor Zaz in Zaz. this. I thought again fit about the henchman level that Black Mask would be able to acquire. He's not going to get Bane as muscle, but he could probably get Zaz. That's good. I'm glad you said that because, you know, for all of Marvel's successes and, you know, what DC's tried to do, to me, it always gets too big. It's like sky beams galore and blowing up the world. They're blowing up an entire city. And, like, that's not this film. It's literally, like, just, like, trying to get these this diamond and, like, whoever's kind of in the path is going to get it. Right. Very simple. But believable. But that's something that you and I both have got. This has got to be quadrupled down on now. Yeah. I feel like just in the last, since 2020 started, simple is better. This should go on our gravestones. Less is more. Because it, it truly <laughs> is in story. Find a way to tell something that I don't have to work so hard to figure out what's going on. Just execute it in a better way instead of making it so complex and executing it as D minus. Mm-hmm. Don't give me the transformers mm-hmm. and just a mass of metal rolling around. Mm-hmm. Okay, give me something that's a little bit more simple instead of like baffling me with BS. Mm-hmm. Take the lipstick off the pig and serve me a really nice ham. Yeah. That's what I want. Honey simple. Gla- honey glazed ham, please. Super simple. Interesting. With some potatoes and we're good. There you go. I haven't eaten yet. I'm hungry. Mm. The next element in this film or the last kind of character to talk about is Cassandra Kane, which is this kind of youth vagrant who's going around pickpocketing people and finds herself, you know, picking off the... MacGuffin of sorts of the film, which is this diamond that has, you know, coordinates to this like family fortune, right? And, you know, she she gets arrested and she eats this 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 diamond. So we all know how that's gonna turn out later. Yeah. But it essentially sets us on our path of the plot, which is something else I really like because I enjoyed this element in many films, whether it be John Wick chapter three or The Warriors, which is putting a bounty on someone's head for a price and to the victor be the spoils, whoever gets there first. Gets, gets the money, which is what happens here. Roman Sinus hires Quinn to go get this thing and then then puts out the bounty to all the mercenaries of Gotham City. Well, so let me take one step back on that. The reason that he hires her is that's the only way she's able to save her skin. So after Harley Quinn has mm-hmm. broken up with the Joker and we see all of the bad guys coming for a pint of blood from her in revenge... Cyanus is also upset because he she shatters his driver's legs mm-hmm. at essentially the strip club. It's not quite, but it's it pretty much is may the strip as well club. be it yeah. might, where the black canary is a singer. Mm-hmm. And the setups in that are terrific and simple. The black canary is a singer in Cyanus's club. She hates him. It gives her a reason to oppose him. Okay, he's pissed off at Harley Quinn, although familiar with her already because he's just jacked up. She's just jacked up his driver. Mm -hmm. Black Canary becomes his driver and then essentially an indentured servant. Mm -hmm. She hates him. Who doesn't? He's a dick. Of course she hates him. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's like having Zaz peel people's faces off. He has gone to a level of (laughs) villainy that be like, if the villain cuts someone's face off, I'm okay with it. The anti-hero can't do that because Harley wouldn't. Right. Yeah. So, Man, that's really well set up in a simple singular location, which mm-hmm. isn't space or some effing spaceship or it, like a club. Yeah. And that's, again, back to what I said, one of the greater successes in this film is it knows its geography and landscape and uses it very effectively, except I have a couple things about that later, but not yet. Okay. So they've caught Harley 
as she's in an alley about to get just dump trucked by this hulking guy that she and the Joker have tattooed his face. Yeah. And Siona shows up because he's going to make her pay. And to save her skin, she becomes his mercenary mm -hmm. in order to reacquire the diamond. So now she has a huge moral dilemma, which we know it's in that little girl. Mm -hmm. How is she going to get it out of that little girl? Or even worse, mm -hmm. how is Sionis going to get it out of that exactly. little girl? Exactly. So we have a crisis of conscience. Mm -hmm. God, that's really well scripted. Like yeah. I'm singing the praises of this movie. And what do you think Again, of, the of the bounty part? 500K is a perfect, perfect amount. He mm -hmm. doesn't have $7 million or he wouldn't need to steal the goddamn diamond. Yeah. And I, that's like almost two curses today. I gotta be yeah. careful. No, you're good. So yes, all of that is working and so well. I'm gonna look and see who wrote this because it, I think it's actually written really, really well. And hang on one second Go, be yeah. before you do so. So we're gonna get to the police station here, which is one of the, 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 the best parts of the film, in my opinion. And we got that kind of gag with... Um, you know, the beanbags and the confetti were very Terminator, like just her going in and just kind of laying waste to these cops in a comedic yet slightly violent fashion. Right. Until she's got to go into the cell block to go rescue her out. Now, Matt, this might make you like the film even more because I thought the action was very well choreographed. It's gruesome. It has a very John Wicky feel to it. And there's a reason for that because Chad Stileski came on during production and directed second unit for this film. They slow down the big kill shots, and I'm doing quotes around kill shots, mm -hmm. in slow motion so that you could really see what was happening. Mm -hmm. Although I agree with what you just said, and you're right. That's mm -hmm. how I will take it. Mm -hmm. There is a bit of John Wick 3 at the end of this for me. Yeah. So you know how when we talked about John Wick 3, you said it's just one level after another, and it's the same fight over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. I actually, I went and saw this with a buddy of mine mm -hmm. and at the final confrontation, I kind of looked over at him and I said, I'm ready for a little bit of a different take on the choreography. Cause it essentially no, is it one does. of it's you throw a punch. I slide underneath your legs, kick you in the back of the knee and I know blow it you, up. I totally know what you mean. And that got a little bit stale. So I got to go, I'm going to go rye and feet okay. together with okay. you on this. Okay. Um, one of each. Cause Although it was good, it it got stale for me. That's fair. A little bit. <clears throat> I I didn't think it got stale for me in this sequence of the film. Like she no. get she gets a bat here in like the evidence locker, and she did this one move. It's gonna be hard to describe, but she like she bashed one guy's head on like the cement and then bounced it off the pavement, mm -hmm. hit a guy in the face, and then it like twirled back to her hand, and it's all in slow motion, and it's like it's really cool. And then there's another one where a guy like sticks, he kicks his leg through like the window of the car. She breaks his knee with the bat and then turns around and breaks the other. And you're just grimacing at this point. Like if if the violence can make you this and this is hard because even John Wick doesn't do this for me because it's just pretty like intense all the way through. But because this film set up a tone with this one, it's gruesome, but like slightly comedic, which sounds kind of fucked up. No, exactly, Jesse. So yeah. the part where she beats the hell out of that guy and breaks both his legs with the car, mm -hmm. watching his legs crumple because they can't hold his weight because mm -hmm. she shattered them and then watching him fall is sadly comedic. Yeah. You're absolutely right. In a weird way, yeah. that's It's kind of funny. Like, oh my God, she really effed that dude up. And ooh, like that, that yeah. ooh. But I don't think it that. came out of nowhere. I think because the film's taken at least 40 minutes up to this point to set up, we're going to have a little fun with this one. The violence is tongue in cheek. It's going to be a little intense, but we're not going to, you know, it's not going to be these gruesome compound fractures, which is like Rob Zombie territory. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it's been set up nicely. This stiletto gentleman that you mentioned, 
we've got to give a nod to this man because you don't write, she kicks one knee, the leg breaks, you kick Leah. Like you can't write all of the action bits in those fisticuff moments that take five and six minutes in a script. It's just between Harley and the bad guys, she unleashes hell, bang. And then when that's written, it goes to the choreographer, the fight director, the stiletto gentleman, and he's got to make it look cool. So a fantastic hire by Warner Brothers to get this guy. Stileski, yeah. And also, I said stiletto, but Stileski, yeah. sorry. The the writing by Hodgson, whose previous other title to this film would be Bumblebee, is handled in a way oh, that oh. there's enough space mm-hmm. where she allows him to come in and do what he wants to do, which is make that cool. Like, make this John Wick. Yeah. Who, who, yes, you and I both love John Wick. It's so definitely good. a type of action that, you know, fits, uh, you know, a particular skill set. And I thought bringing that to Quinn, you know, makes it, it, this is so different than Suicide Squad, which is what this character is coming from and making allusions to um, from the, the past film. Yeah. This but still, is, there's even a nod to that film in this movie. Mm-hmm. She sees the, uh, which guy? Oh, Jai freaking Courtney, man. What character Boomerang. Boomerang. Like she's, but okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, yeah. But she sees him. Yeah, exactly. On the wanted picture in... Hey, I know that guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah still making allusions to it, but also kind of disting it, disting in itself as far away as possible from that shit because, goddamn. Uh, but we're, we're coming to a part of the film, and I, I, when I saw this, I, I was so excited to ask you because I know this is something you like in particular. So she rescues Cassandra Kane from this uh, police station, they're kind of on the run, and they're just being attacked by whatever mercenary uh, excommunicado that's coming to, to get them that knows where they're at. They find themselves at a convenience store, and just kind of the way it's going to progress, and she's got to kind of look after her so she can give her to Sionis. We get to a part of the film where it takes on that inappropriate relationship between youth and adult. And Matt, I know this is something you really like in film. Uh, yes. What did you think about this? Oh, yes. I can't say it any better. It was fun to watch her give this girl terrible advice after terrible parenting technique after another after another. What also really works in this, however, is the little girl has as much game as Harley does. Mm -hmm. So as much as Harley might be vexing, the little girl presents quite a challenge to her as well. And then again, like a lot of those films, you know when the relationship begins that the adult-like character is going to have to screw over the kids sooner or later, whether it's bad words Mm -hmm. or bad Santa Mm -hmm. or a perfect world, or I could go on and on and on with bad any of those bad news bears, like Mm -hmm. any of those. Like Uh, sooner or later, Mm -hmm. the adult, the patriarch or the matriarch is going to screw it up because that's why they're like they are, and the totality of that's going to be felt by the kid. Mm -hmm. But this Cassandra Cain... I don't know if it would affect her because she's pretty streety. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I really liked it. It's not my favorite part of the movie, but I did find myself being quite engaged with the interaction between the two of them. This place? Well, it ain't much, but it's better than a prison cell. It's so freaking dope. Oh, damn. Is that a hyena in a bathtub? He named him Bruce after that hunting wild guy. Can I tell you something? Sure. The simplest things will crack me up. So she takes him back to this, you know, Chinese restaurant um, uh, run by this guy named Doc, and he's kind of covering for for Quinn. You can go stay upstairs and in this little kind of shanty apartment, and she pours them cereal, the two of them, and they sit and they're watching some Tweety Bird and Sylvester cartoon, and they start laughing at just, well, first of all, Looney Tunes is hilarious. Yeah. 
And then the film's just about to cut away to the next scene, and not before it grabs, they're laughing, and then the hyena starts laughing. Right. <laughs> I, I died. Did you? Uh, it's th- those type of things, like, it doesn't take a lot to get me, but like that, I was just, it took me a good, like, 20 seconds to recover. I was like, that, that's clever, complaced comedy. Yep. And edited comedy, too, which is also a part of this. Let's talk about The Huntress. Uh, well, can I, can I say one thing about that? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Whereas you said earlier to start the podcast in Batman versus Superman, it's just so heavy, and I said it didn't know its audience. Yeah. I think this movie not only is very mm. self-aware of the speed and tone that it should take, but also what the audience is expecting. That's good, yes. And a laughing hyena. Think about this. It's kind of like the family pet, but Harley wouldn't have some cute little cocker spaniel. Mm -hmm. She'd have a hyena. Yeah. And then the significance of that plays out because the laughing hyena, although that's not really what would happen. Mm -hmm. None of this would happen in real life, so stop with that. Sure. It's set up and paid (laughs) off, Mm -hmm. and it's aware of where it's going and the the weight that it carries. Mm -hmm. Batman and Superman is so obsessed with how dark and grim and brooding we have to well, make th- th- this. Just think about last week. If there's even a 1% chance he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute threat, but he is not our enemy. Like, that's the whole three hours of that movie. Right. Is that nonsense. And this is, if she's got a hyena, yeah. of course, which of course she does, Yeah. and they're watching the Looney Tunes, of course, yeah, it, like... It just fits better. It's... It- <laughs> Yeah, it's more it's more aware of its tone. It sounds it sounds crazy, but like it it's it's been fun to do these films in retrospect. I think even Batman and Robin is even a little more aware of its tone than Batman versus Superman. But here I feel he, like I feel like with Batman versus Superman, the executives or director said, "By God, we're making a film." Mm-hmm. And Harley and Birds of Prey said, "Oh, let's just make a movie." Yeah, and and, and you know what? That's kind of what DC needs right now. Gospel. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Let's talk about the Huntress real quick with this. It's kind of the last element we haven't uh, um, talked about yet. Um, again, this kind of Kill Bill kind of origin story, the family that got wiped out by the hand of Roman Sionis and, you know, kind of trained by in Italy by these other assassins to kind of come and, you know, take out the four that really when Victor Zaz was a part of that. What do you think of, of her kind of setup? Because I think of any of the three, I think hers has developed the least which, you know, the, the film's, you know, got a lot of characters to jumble around. So this was bound to happen with at least one of the characters. That tends to happen on these team films, I think. She's my least favorite character sure, of yeah. all of mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. And I really liked her in Birds of Prey. I think the Huntress looks cool. Mm-hmm. She and the Scarlet Witch are, this <laughs> sounds so ridiculous, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it, are very, very appealing comic book females to mm-hmm. me. They just both look really cool. I think the Huntress's costuming is great. I think that it was cast terribly. Isn't that the girl that was in the prequel to The Thing? Yes. Okay, so I, I'm not sure. Thinkable. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened, and they could have done better. And then they also could have done a better job with her. Yeah. Her sort she, of as this very linear, angry assassin. But she she also comes in very late, too. Mercifully, maybe. Mm-hmm. So... I don't disagree with what you said. She's my least favorite character of all of them. Mm -hmm. Even when they get her at the end in the uniform that's more Mm Huntress-like, it still didn't play. She she just doesn't have the gams for me to play that part. Yeah. Physically. I'm going to have some foot for that one. Yeah, me too. Purple for the Huntress. (laughs) (laughs) 
So let's kind of get to this last little section of the film, which is going to be Will Harley give over Cassandra Kane to Roman Sionis and, you know, kind of, you know, backstab her a little bit because she's kind of in it for her own skin. And then how's this whole thing with Black Canary? How's this all going to kind of convene on its its own, which where it's going to convene is at Amusement Mile here, which is now this derelict amusement park. And Amusement Miles played out in many a uh, Batman game and animated series, and I believe this is the first time we're seeing it on film. So I'm gonna have some Mariah as the Batman fan in me. This is this is some Mariah for me. Okay. So this is, I guess, the third act. Yeah. This is where all of the critical acclaim that I've given this film up to this point changes a bit. Okay. I understand that in the history of Batman, that place matters. I also really think that that Founder's Wharf is a cool location. Yeah, another great location, yep. So those in the spectrum of Gotham's geography are important. I think having Harley in a funhouse fight the bad guys is just a little too sound effects with like springs and dongs <laughs> and like whooshes. And to me, it was a, I have to admit, it was pretty eye rolly at this point. Okay. I, again, I don't, I'm not saying I want it in a warehouse cause we've seen that a hundred times too, mm -hmm. but an abandoned train station or so I just in the fun house was so on the nose for me and sure. she's already done it the whole film. I don't need more clownishness. Yeah. So well, quite literally like springs. I think some of the characters are even like bouncing on things that like the Huntress <laughs> jumps on the tongues of those things. Oh, <laughs> those were tongue, that's what they were. They were, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. So yeah, it does get a little, yeah, a little too fun housey, a little too jokery, but you know, Harley Quinn is part of that lineage. So I, I get why they went there, but sure, I'm kind of with you. It could have kind of been anywhere. Yeah. This meeting space yeah. to an extent, but this is kind of where all the birds of prey team up with, uh, <laughs> Rosie Perez, uh, Renee Montoya, the Huntress, uh, Black Canary, and uh, Cassandra Kane and Harley Quinn. And, you know, they kind of have to do it with, you know, kind of a little, but the, it becomes a little more the, the, the gang, they're, they're like the purge gang. They have like purge baskets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they just become a little fodder. You know what I mean? We got to have a, another action fisticuffsy uh, sequence here. That way we can kind of, you know, make this. Um, give them another action scene, which is, this is what it kind of feels like to me. Let's hold this off at bay before the final battle with Sionis. Well, yeah, exactly. And look, because Sionis shows up, <clears throat> we know that these guys aren't really going to hurt them that bad because mm -hmm. we have to get to the final showdown. Mm -hmm. So there isn't really even the suspension of disbelief that any of these anarchy purge clowns can take any of them down. And I will argue this. Mm -hmm. If when Harley is at her worst in the film because she's heartbroken with the loss of the Joker, if she shows up at that funhouse to try to recuperate or put some joy back in her life and we see like some kids maybe walking through and they're frightened and she's laughing and we kind of get like what that place means to her, mm -hmm. then it's set up a little bit better and the criticisms that I just levied probably I wouldn't have. How about this for a teensy bit of sour mash? Instead well, of blowing up Ace Chemicals, what if she blew up the amusement park at the beginning of the film? Okay, super. And then, it, it, right, okay, fine. I at, like, least, at least it's been set up. Okay. Uh, to me, going here is like just... Like blown up with the exception of the funhouse, that's the only yeah. surviving bit? Because mm -hmm. it is already pretty derelict to begin with. Not to get too heady, because again, we want to be aware of the movie, and this is not a heady film. Mm -hmm. But if she blows up the amusement park with the exception of the funhouse... Mm -hmm. 
sort of a metaphor for like where she is right now with that relationship with the Joker. Destroying your home, like now that the relationship is over, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's a lot to play with there. Don't you think with villains and heroes, especially in a supernatural comic booky way, mm-hmm. their lair is really important? Definitely. Isn't Harley's lair the funhouse? Yeah. If Batman has a cave, mm-hmm. like I, again, I just it's a not a huge miss. No, it's not going to make me oh this rock gut. Like I'm not saying that. It's just it's a miss, and I loved your sour mash. Well, there. no, it's it, good. It, it just it to me it just becomes a little more convenient that we end up here because this is Roman's place of rendezvous versus Harley's choice to meet here. You know what I mean? Right. It just so happens. Oh, this was used to be my old hideout place. Right. So it becomes a bit of a, a plot uh, convenience for me. Uh, what do you think of, uh, I was glad we finally got to see it. I thought maybe we might go the whole film and not see it, but what do you think of the black mask? Like, I always thought that was a cool image for that character. Great looking bad guy. Mm-hmm. Serves exactly the purpose it's supposed to. He looks awesome in mm-hmm. it. You take that black mask with the suit, and usually he's in a white suit, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Looks great. Yeah. And then when he puts the mask on, it's sort of a <clears throat> signal to, because he cuts the faces off those people earlier without the mask. Mm-hmm. And when he puts the mask on, it's sort of, that moment in Rambo sure, when he ties the headband oh, around yeah. the back of his mm-hmm. head and it's, oh man, now it's real. So it, it's signaling an elevation in intention. This is such a side note if there ever was one, but Ewan McGregor, are you on board with him maybe doing an Obi-Wan show on Disney plus? If it's handled like they handled the Mandalorian, I'm fine with it. I'm going to give it, I could tell you no, and I'd be a liar. I'm going to give it a crack. You're still going to watch it. Sure. What about you? And to me, he was it, the, like the one saving grace of those prequel films. I thought he played like young Alec Guinness very well. Well, he's really good though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good start. Yeah. I don't know anything in Ewan McGregor that I haven't liked. Sure. That's that's fair. Yeah. He's always been pretty a pretty solid actor throughout his filmography. To that, what's that film, that semi-horror film that he did where he works in the um, mortician's parlor? Have you ever seen that? Nightwatch, I think it's called. Mm. Have you seen that? I think I know. No, 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 no. Let me look it up. I don't think that's what it's called. But what, whatever that is, yeah. that's a, as I'm sitting here thinking, he's got a great list of stuff that he did. So casting him in that and then using him from the previous movies is a good idea for Disney. Did you, did, were you on board with that Fargo? The, the show? Cause he was on one season of that. The first two. Yes. Okay. Yes, the first two I was. Why don't you set up this final battle kind of sequence and, and this kind of chase on roller skates again? I would have died instantly. <laughs> so after the baddies have been defeated in the funhouse, then we've got to go get Sionis. And we square off. He's taken the cane kid and is off to what I think, as I didn't like the funhouse, a cool location, that Founders Pier. Uh, not having the historical knowledge of Gotham that you do. Mm -hmm. Is that a pretty important place in Gotham? Definitely. Okay. So it just looked cool. And then you know what you do? Mm -hmm. If you have the founders in there and it's dark, you don't really know what's a statue and what's a human. And it gives you a built-in camouflaging system. So it's a cool location and a cool setting. There's water below you. So you have kind of to worry about that. I think that works really, really good. And it looked awesome. Mm-hmm. I found myself looking at all those statues saying, oh, that's a story and that's a story. And who is that? Oh, and what's it? Definitely. Oh, that's really cool. It, and is, then, it is Nightwatch, by the way. Nightwatch. Yeah, there you go. And then we get <clears> to the end and this I didn't like. Okay. Um, he's got that cane kid underneath his arm, gun poised at her head, and he's going to get this jewel by hook or by crook. And Harley, if you do this, I'm going to kill this kid and still get the jewel and then kill you. And then we've come to find out that she's pulled the pin on a grenade 
and shows Harley like still I have your ring and Harley knows that he's going to blow up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really quick disposal of a guy that we've spent 90 minutes Yeah, he literally building. blows in half. It's funny to watch him blow into all those pieces yeah. and fly into the water. But maybe he deserved not a, a better face sh- than that. Or like a decent more face off. I would like to see the fisticuffs between the two of them. Because before that, we get a cool car chase. Yeah. Is it the Huntress that's driving that? Yeah, the Huntress is riding her motorcycle, and Harley is being towed behind her on her roller skates. Mm-hmm. And we get kind of the roller derby. Okay, we'd set that up earlier. She knows how to go like that. Yeah. So I buy it. Okay. And then... I thought that was pretty well done. He crashes his car, and he's already pretty bloody and messed up. Mm-hmm. I just think he deserved a little bit better showdown with Harley than that. Or I like I, I like I like the villains to kind of get into it a little bit. You know what I mean? Bar Die Hard and the brilliance of Hans Gruber in that film where they don't really get into it. Uh, I, I kind of like my villains to kind of, you know, punch each other around a bit. You know what I mean? It's the final confrontation. It's but, what I look forward to in all the Bond films. <laughs> shouldn't he have, with Saws now being defeated... Mm-hmm. Shouldn't he have tried to pitch Harley on becoming his new right-hand muscle mm. man? Look, Harley, yes. we don't have to do this. Yes. This jewel in her, mm-hmm. this sets us up, and everybody that you've ever wanted to make pay, I've got the power to do it. With and then, you by my side, we then, can do it. Then you have temptation, too. I think that that's a little, well, yeah. I think that's a little bit better way to go. It, it didn't. And again, <clears throat> it's fast, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to say we didn't get enough action to get to that because you've had like now 25 minutes of pretty solid action. Yeah, very well done. So, and and like I'm a hypocrite if I say there wasn't enough action because I said it was almost too much because I got tired of the same fight choreography yeah. and I didn't love the fun house. And like that is grandeur and and an expanse that's indulgent. Yeah, to, but to me in a story building type of, of film, when you have, you're going to have a, I mean, this isn't Dead Poet Society or anything, but when you have a film like this and you have a natural kind of path between hero and villain, in this case, kind of anti-hero villain and villain, uh, you want to have, you know, that kind of that final kind of face-off. Showdown. Yeah, and, and it, it is kind of just, it's over before you, if you blink, you'll miss it. <laughs> so to that, can I echo your sentiment? Go ahead. My criticism biggest in No Country for Old Men is the way that Shakur is killed in that film. Mm-hmm. Thrown out of the back of a truck, essentially, like that whole ending sequence that's set up and mm-hmm. he's leaving these phone calls and we're hiding in the crawl space in the attic and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That was way worse than this movie was. And that ruined that film for me. Mm -hmm. It made the whole two hours to get there completely pointless. And then they even doubled down by giving Tommy Lee Jones that stupid soliloquy at the end, that (laughs) monologue to sort of sum out what it means. Like, I don't know what it means to be a hero anymore. Like if you have to do that, and this is also gangs of New York too, at the end of your film, you didn't do what the movie was supposed to set up. Mm -hmm. It's not to that level. Sure. But again, should have been done. Just give me two minutes. Mm-hmm. And then what you get is if like Kane is the one that not only pulls the pen, which again, set up because she's a pickpocket. So she would be able to do that and mm-hmm. stick him with the grenade. If she's the one that saves Harley or takes a little bit more active role uh-huh. in the showdown, I think you get a nice Robin like sidekick to Harley's Batman. Yeah. So then the film kind of is going to kind of do a, a montage of sorts to kind of wrap things up a bit. And, you know, after they've had some Mexican food in the morning to kind of get this diamond out of that diamond out, get that diamond out. So they get it. And Harley and Cassandra are kind of on the run 
together. And this is something I did enjoy about the film, you know, playing with my expectations is, you know, Renee Montoya, you know, doing this heroic deed and kind of bringing down Roman Sionis, you know, naturally a film would probably go like even something like Lethal Weapon, you get a promotion and you're like, she's literally like off the Gotham police force. You know what I mean? Their captain taking all the credit, which is which is a nice kind of way to go with that because it sets up her to be part of this birds of prey force. Right. So you mentioned it earlier, and I'll kind of let you run with it, but talk about kind of what, what the film kind of sets up with its final kind of ending sequence. For me, my takeaway was there's two now stories or teams they've created going forward. Harley, I think her and Kane have it set up. So they're in that Mexican food restaurant, and Kane says, oh, it's about time. And Harley's like, oh, yeah, so we know that she's about to <laughs> relieve herself of the diamond. Mm-hmm. There's a totality of that, which we don't have to get into. You know. Including a colander and a bunch of other <laughs> a stuff. colander. Which I think is pretty funny. It's funny. And maybe that's happened. Mm-hmm. And may, But mostly they just leave. Mm-hmm. So they steal... Uh, Canary's car. Yeah, they steal Canary's car mm-hmm. and drive off and leave the birds of prey in a threesome to themselves. Mm-hmm. Created two new teams. Harley and Sidekick mm-hmm. and the birds of prey. Both capable entities if you give them the proper villains and two ways for dc to go mm-hmm. good job dc you so did. i'm gonna like i'm gonna ride that that's, you did that's, that that's good for them i think you'd like that that uh harley cassandra film because that's just mm-hmm. a whole film of inappropriate adventures <laughs> no, exactly well she even sets it up really she's giving her the rules of rule number 35 never never she's already giving her the ropes of like how not to act like as a human being yeah it's set up perfect mm-hmm. so you know you you Put the hit the nail on the head. I love that. Yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. And then you have the Huntress in full Huntress attire and Renee Montoya and Black Canary, and there's maybe Barbara Gordon coming to round out like a five sum or a quartet of sure. the birds going forward. Mm-hmm. So yay. Yeah. Two more possible stories we can go. Or maybe just even the two teams coming back together for some reason. Maybe Harley joins them and they come back together. I don't know where that goes. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But they've left themselves some outs. Yeah. And an appropriate set up for the future you know what i mean we're not reaching for the stars it's it's a natural inclination of where the story goes do you feel how natural that occurred though mm-hmm. harley would take cassandra and run away yeah especially with cassandra of course she's going to take the diamond and steal it from them to of course she would mm-hmm. it's such a natural logical gentle progression into that it's not this stark we've all got to figure out how to like okay let's compare again we've done mm-hmm. this a lot but mm-hmm. batman superman was i almost just killed you See that big, terrible thing there called Doomsday? Man, can we just have a handshake and get on with it? I'm really sorry. And by the way, our moms have the same name, so we're good. Besties. High five. Bullshit. Yeah. This was much more natural and set up and occurred in a very gentle, real way that made sense to me. And to DC's credit, Mm -hmm. left them with some potential going forward elsewhere. Amen to that. I think so time, I think that's the right time, isn't it? I think time now more than ever. Let's go ahead and rate Birds of Prey. Uh, we have Rocket, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Matt, I'm going to let you go first. I have to admit this movie never had a chance of being Top Shelf for me. I went in expecting it to be pretty awful. And matter of fact, I was even kind of talking some <clears> trash, <throat> saying, oh, God, I got to go see this Thursday night. It's sure. going to be terrible. It is for me Mm -hmm. as movie, movie as the superhero can get. It's call, call. Mm -hmm. It would be call plus if it wasn't for about 70%, maybe 80% of the third act. But that's a lot of the film, and that's the culminating events of the film. Yeah. 
not enough to wreck it. Mm-hmm. Margot Robbie was really good. They have mostly cool characters in the birds. Mm-hmm. And I think if you take a D list team that's headlined by an A list celebrity character in DC right now, mm-hmm. that seemed very difficult to manage. Sure. Like if Captain America put a team together of Ghost Rider, Doctor Strange, and give me another D-lister. Um, Swamp Thing. Or no, Man Thing. Okay. <laughs> I'd be like, oh my God, what does that look like? Again, the stealing of characters. <laughs> right. It did that. The Huntress, Black Canary, and Renee Montoya are nothings. Yeah. Sure, yeah. And if you don't want to put the Swamp Thing in there, we'll put Blade in there. Yeah. It doesn't play, but this did. That's a huge, huge win mm-hmm. and handled so well. So maybe... DC's hottest commodity right now Mm -hmm. is Quinn. I mean, the movie just came out. Yeah. But if it's Quinn or Wonder Woman, what I'm really looking forward to coming this summer Mm -hmm. is ROI, return on investment. This is 84. Wonder Woman has to be close to 200. Probably, yeah. Let's see what the percent breakdown is per profitability because I bet you. Mm -hmm. Let's make a bet right now. I'm taking my money's on Harley. We're going to have to do a lot of math. (laughs) Yeah, we are. We can break down those. Okay, yeah, that'll so. that'll be good. Let's just see what was a bigger because and if Harley's a bigger winner, then if you give her a two hundred million dollar budget, which is coming next. Mm-hmm. My question though, can I give you one more thing? Go ahead. So again, call call. This okay. is not about the rating. This is just a thought. That Do is, you want to see no a Harley Joker Batman mm-hmm. in the current states of where those three characters are at some point? I guess at some point, but not right now. It's gonna that's gonna be really hard because those are three very different tones. And what mm-hmm, I mean by that is mm-hmm. the hockneyed hilarity of Quinn, the very base and appropriate for me mm-hmm. drama and doom of Joker, mm-hmm. and then this very cerebral take on Batman that's coming. I'm not sure how all of that jives together because that Harley that we just saw, no way in the world has any relationship with. The Joker that we just saw. Oh, no, 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 no. It's the, 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 I would not envy trying to write that film because tonally, I don't know how you would even begin to tackle something like that. Oftentimes, though, when we say that is when we get genius. Yep. So maybe there's something there. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Call, call. Better than the last two weeks. I'll tell you that oh, right now. By miles. I, I think I'm going to go, you know, kind of like call plus single barrel minus. Okay. Let me tell you what's come before all this. We have Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Justice League, Aquaman, Shazam, and Birds of Prey. This is easily the second best of those two films. Yeah. Right, 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 like kind of below Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman has just a little bit more going on. It's, it's, that's a well-made film on a more bigger scale. Suffers from some of the same things though in it the third def- act. Oh, though, the huh? def- it falls apart in its third act, and we could talk about that too. But compared to what I just rattled off, Aquaman, Justice League, BVS, Suicide Squad, it's easily in the, that that upper tier. This was a nice, pleasant surprise for me. I'm a big Margot Robbie fan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just because you know she just she brings a lot of intensity to her her roles in a in a very fresh way, and she's perfect for this character. Uh, the writing I thought was really great, bringing Stileski on to help choreograph. You, he should just be on call to come do action for your films because they're going to look amazing. Right. Uh, yeah, the tone. I laughed. I did not like hate the myself watching it. Another positive to the film, this is literally a film that Marvel Disney could never make. It was raunchy in all the right places. It was gruesome in all the right places. There would never be compound fracture breaks in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. 
So I think, especially now with the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix, and this film, they're at least taking more chances with more adult-oriented, focused superhero genre pieces that literally their competition would never, never do. Deadpool. It's that, De- that's it. That it's them versus Deadpool. Yeah, and that's Deadpool via Fox Studios. Right. Now that they own Deadpool, are they going to tone down Ryan Reynolds? We'll never see another Deadpool movie as owned by Disney. It's gone. So I got to give them props for that too. They might be swinging and missing with BVS and Justice League, but they're at least taking more chances to do some things that we haven't seen with the genre outside of these two big brands. So yeah, yeah, this has been, (laughs) I'll cheers some rye. This has been very refreshing. Thank you to all those involved that made this film and we didn't have to drink so much of the foot, but the last two weeks were very tough. You're welcome, fans. I know you've had a lot of fun with all of that. But, yeah, go see Birds of Prey on a Sunday afternoon and just have some fun with it. (laughs) Get yourself a nice popcorn, Mm -hmm. sit down, and just go be entertained, and you'll be fine. There you go. You'll be be better than fine. So let's talk about the future of DC films. I'm actually very excited to talk about this nightcap. Uh, They got a lot in the pipe. Uh, Wonder Woman 84... Black Adam, The Suicide Squad via James Gunn, The Batman with Robert Pattinson, a lot of film. The Flash, are we ever going to get Flash? Of all those films that are coming up, Matt, and all of those are going to have mega budgets, $200 million that going to have to like really perform to make a lot of this you know, relevant. Of all those films, which one do you think needs to be a home run? And if it misses, what next? What I'm going to start with is not my answer. Okay. Wonder Woman can be terrible. It's going to make money. Mm -hmm. That is a lockdown winner for them. Yeah. We'll see about Black Adam. That's far enough down the road where it's sort of hard to forecast that. It's actually not any of the movies that you mentioned. My argument goes back to what I talked about earlier with the problems or challenges that Gotham presents. Okay. And that's presenting a non-Gotham city that matters in the DC universe. Dude, it's Aquaman 2. If they can expand a coastal city and then an underwater environment Mm -hmm. that allows them the freedom or the space on the silver screen to have a more interesting villainy. And that's what it boils down to me. Sure. I like the bank robber and the heist and that, you know, I might have to kill a few people on the way to get this big diamond. I love that. That's a great story. But if you can expand your world, then it just gives you the opportunity for better storytelling. The first Aquaman, like we talked about, is not a good film. It made money for them. But if you can if you can establish a Seattle mm-hmm. or a Boston, like a harbor, coastal yeah. city mm-hmm. that's not metropolis, that's not mega city skyscrapers, whether it's dark there every night like Gotham or sunny every day there like metropolis. Mm-hmm. If you can you give yourselves more outs. Okay. And so for me, Wonder Woman's going to make money. It can be terrible. And to me, there's some problems with that. We'll see how they handle the Trevor Steve deal and the reincarnation and whatever all that is going to be. <laughs> yeah. Because he's clearly back. Yeah. And the and, che- and Cheetah. And also, I don't know like what the longevity as far as replayability with that film is going to be. Because sooner or later, people are going to get tired of the 80s again. Like they did when the 80s ended. <laughs> it's coming, man. Yeah, exactly. You already said it yourself. You're sick of Finn Wolfhard. Yeah, to that. <laughs> Jesse, it's already the saturation's already starting to set in. Exactly. So Wonder Woman might be the throes of that. So I don't know how that's going to play. Sure. 
It's Aquaman, man. If Aquaman that movie too. and the story that I've heard mm -hmm. is a story that I really like the trench and those amphibious like creatures and the world that's there. More Black Manta. I don't care if he's in it or not. He probably will be. Yeah. He needs he needs his his muscle opposite. They yeah. have to have him. Yeah, he kind of sucked in that movie. Yeah, and he shouldn't <laughs> because again, they did too much with it. Oh, 10 movies. Right. Yeah. So is that, did you expect no, that? That's perfect. I think it's Aquaman for me. Okay. Actually, I don't think it's Aquaman. And, and then also consider one more thing. If it's as much water as that movie is going to require. Expensive. Oh, the price tag goes way up. Yeah. So they really need to lock that thing down. Yeah. And if that scores and Wonder Woman scores, and then the, you've got a possibility of maybe figuring out. You're back on track, maybe. And I'm, I'm with that. I want to, I want that to work. Mm -hmm. I want the Justice League. Yeah. So. To me, it's it's Aquaman. Cool. Um, no, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that uh, where they're at right now, you know, they have they tried with Ben Affleck Batman. There, they had Henry Cavill Superman. They did Justice League. It was a colossal failure, and you know. I'm just very confused because you have a Jared Leto Joker. Now you have Joaquin Phoenix Joker. You have this new iteration of Batman with Matt Reeves. He's probably going to have his own Joker. Uh, the answer I'm going to give you is actually whatever they do with a second Joker film. Now, I wasn't as high on that film as you were, and there's a lot of people that liked it. It made a billion, R-rated billion-dollar-making movie. That's big time for DC. It's going to clean up at the Oscars, too, on Sunday. It's going to win a handful. You think? I think so. Is that your best picture? No, winner? no, it's not my best picture, but actors a lock, music. It's going to get some, like, the editing and the technical stuff. Set design. Yeah, that, that, that's good. Yeah. Um, if they decide, they got a big decision to make, just because, again, talking about tone, the tone of Joker is very distinct on what type of a film it's trying to be. If the Matt Reeves Batman is able to somehow tie Joaquin Phoenix's Joker into his universe, then we got something there. Again, it's Gotham again. Well, what you're looking, but to me, those are characters that have to work because they're your. Those are that's your Mookie Betts and your your uh, your. Those are your heavy hitters right there. Go Dodgers! Yeah, go Dodgers! Good for you, Matt. Yeah, thanks. but but yeah, they need those players in their bullpen. Um, they're just they're just so important to the mythology of DC, and you got to lock down one Batman, one Joker. If they're going to cross over, great. If not, keep it separate, but don't have multiple Batman and multiple Jokers. I mean, it's just too much. Do you have any production updates on Joker Two or the next round that includes the Joker? No, like uh, as when they made Joker One, they said we're only doing one film; it's a one-off. But when you make that much money and everyone loves it as much as they as they do, and you're getting Oscar praise. They got to be thinking we got to do another one of these at some point. Just don't call Kathleen Kennedy to figure out what comes next, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Star Wars needs to take a break. So I'm interested. Yeah, you're right. Wonder Woman's going to be a massive hit. Maybe win the summer, but I think yeah, the the two we mentioned, like we need to see how those play out. I'm also excited for James Gunn's Suicide Squad. I mean, he's a proven winner with a team element and. He's gotten rid of Jared Little Joker in that one too, and all the elements that make Suicide Squad so horrible. Maybe he's got another something else up his sleeve. And talking about again the rivalry taking from Marvel's bullpen and pull, putting into yours. Hey, who knows? He has a formula that worked with the Guardians. Yeah. So if he can just apply that here, I know they're different characters, obviously, but the same team concept is still in play. Exactly. 
And speaking of which, I'm gonna toast myself because we had an exchange Boy, yeah, yeah. on text about a month ago. Yep. When Scott Derrickson left Doctor Strange too, and I literally text Matt and I said, if Marvel's any got any two cents in them, they are getting on the horn with Sam Raimi to do their horror-oriented sequel. He's gonna do it! Like, oh my god, it's gonna be great. That that's that's perfect director pick for that film. Perfect. Yeah. Now can Feige get the heck out of the way enough to get let his him work thumb his out of magic. his ass. Yeah. Just let, let him do what, what he's done for the last 40 years. Look, Sam Raimi isn't an ingenue into the directorial realm. Yeah. So you've got to figure he sat down and said, look, mm-hmm. if I'm doing this, you're not Spider-Man threeing me mm-hmm. or like, I'm going to do this. Yeah, oh yeah. And if the answer's, I have to oversee it and I want you <clears> turning in script notes every day and I'm going to be on set every day, then you can pound sand buddy and find, go get James Wan. Yeah. Or whoever. I got to tell you, that was probably already the one I was most looking forward to in phase four or whatever the hell they're calling this thing now. It is by far the thing I am most looking forward to in phase four. It's that, that, that could be so awesome. Yeah, I don't disagree. Excellent. Can we talk about Pattinson for just one minute sure. before we close it? Go ahead. If we're going to tie in Harley and the Joker and a larger DC scaled universe, okay. his availability has to be tantamount to that. Mm-hmm. I don't think Robert Pattinson, although he's coming out in Nolan's Tenant this summer, Mm -hmm. and he seems to have had a revival quite recently as a viable Hollywood entity. Sure. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine now, right now, Mm -hmm. that he's in such demand that they can't contract him for five or six or seven appearances. Mm -hmm. Because if they can do with him like they did with Downey as Stark, as even if it's just an appearance, post-credit or mid-film or then you're you it's really easy to tie as much as we talk about it you're bridging the gap it's yep. not hard to tie all this stuff together just make mm-hmm. an appearance yeah and it serves as a scene that re, is an origin story exactly i will argue mm-hmm. the most important moment that marvel ever came to was asking nick fury sam jackson to mm-hmm. show up in iron man 1 and just say one word to stark yeah the avengers mm-hmm. i guess that's two words yeah the Avengers initiative. And it was on. Yeah, big time. Changed the entire landscape, not of only that film, but film. But I'll tell you what else also helped out was later that summer, you had the Edward Norton Incredible Hulk and you had Downey come into the bar with William Hurt, um, Ross kind of saying, I'm putting a team together. And then you could already see the wheels in motion. So you were like, is this going to happen in every one of these films coming up? Two scenes. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to find a way to get Pattinson Assuming this new Batman does well. I'm sure I'm it's, sure it will. It, it's going to. Yeah. They'll be the haters. I can't believe they cast him like they've done with every Batman before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they can just do that, they're on they're the on right to, path. They're on to something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've set, talked about how it's all been kind of set up too. Well, this has been fun today, kind of a nightmare the last two weeks. We'll, we'll, we'll do some more rock cut casts. Like, Matt, can you imagine doing like some of those like shitty action films from like the 90s, like Cliffhanger? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that could be a lot of fun. We'll have to we'll have to we'll revisit Rockcut again at our own discretion. <laughs> yeah. But we're gonna get this train right back on track. Uh, Matt mentioned it earlier. On February twenty eighth, we have a new remake of The Invisible Man starring Elizabeth Moss. And as you told me, a budget of how much? Nine million dollars. Going low budget, and I love it. Me too. That's what that needs to be. Yes. Yeah. Don't blow that one up like with a hundred million. It doesn't. That's not necessary. With from what I can deduce from the trailers, 
a bit of a social commentary in horror, which is also playing really well right now. That is domestic violence in this one. That could be very interesting. Mm -hmm. So Matt and I are going to do a new film review cast. We're going to call this one Now, now you, you See, see me. me. And we're going to talk about the films of the Invisible Man. Invisible Agent? No, 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 no. No, we're going to... Invisible Family. Oh, <laughs> Memoirs of an Invisible Man? Hell no. That's not in it. Uh, but we're going to start with the the original from the 1930s starring Claude. Our boy, Claude Rains, is the first time we get to talk about him. We have another one of our boys in this cast, though, set up too, don't we? Exactly. Not to give too much away, but if you listen often, this this other choice won't surprise you. Uh, I'm excited to talk about him again. Me too. But yeah, Mr. Claude Rains in The Invisible Man, The Universal Monsters Picture. This is going to be a fun episode. Uh, just to, and we haven't done the Universal Monsters film yet, too. This is a very important part of horror cinema. Maybe the, not the birth, but the launching pad. This is wheelhouse stuff for you and me here. Definitely. This is 3-0 dead red sitting on it. This oh, man. Is our, this is wheelhouse stuff for you not and me. Not even, Matt. I'm Babe Ruth. I'm already calling where the ball's going. Love it. <laughs> but um, we're going to have some surprises for you, and you're going to have a lot to look forward to. So Go to school on that, people. Listen to what he just <clears throat> said. There's... Something next week is a can't miss yes. for you as mm -hmm. a listener. So cheers, Matt. You got to drink the foot because I'm out of ride. Oh, no. I'm going to get going. Um, I'm going to go try and look for a new city that isn't Gotham so I can help you out on your quest. I'm, I'm going to find something that they else that they can do. I'm going to go with you and talk to the realtors and listen. After you talk to the realtors, I'm going to listen to what they say. As the invisible man, they won't know I'm there. And then I'll come back with a better negotiating tactic for us. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you for everything, Rye Nation. Uh, thank you for all the, the download here. We're officially, you know, one year doing this. This has been a blast. And we got some fun stuff coming up in the next couple months. So we'll see you next week. God bless, Rye Nation. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, and leave us a comment at Productions at gmail.com. Birds of Prey is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, DC Films, Lucky Chap Entertainment, Kroll & Co. Entertainment, and Clubhouse Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Psychologically speaking, vengeance rarely brings the catharsis we hope for. Yeah. Are we ready? You blow up!